greet to all our friends that are online with us today. Uh, we greet you, we say hello, and we're so happy that you are spending a little bit of time with us in teaching and in prayer and uh, in worship today. Uh, and we greet you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, as always, well, as almost always, we'll be receiving communion together today. So if you're at home uh, and you haven't done so already, you might want to head on into the kitchen and get your elements to get ready for that. But we're grateful to see you and you know there's so many ways you can join us whether it's in these four walls or it's online at ccmonline.org facebook or on youtube and so we're grateful that you spend a little time with us and we say good morning to y'all in the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running
So we are, we're talking about uh, journeying with a message, but uh, what we are talking about, as Kathleen mentioned, we're in a new series, and we're going to be talk, we're going to be spending some weeks on talking about Crossroads core values. Um, and I have a question for all of us: What's at your core? What are your core values? Um, you may not realize it. We all have core values, whether we have written them down anywhere or even considered that. Uh, we all operate by a core value system. Every organization operates by a set of core values. Every business does. Every family does. You could identify it. Um, so part of what we want to do is we want to be really intentional, and we've tried to be really intentional over the years as a church of paying attention to our core values and making sure that we're we're keeping those in sight. Otherwise, you can just go off into other things, um, and this helps can help you get back on track. So uh, for kind of homework, I think this week might be a good thing for you to just consider what your core values are. Just sit down, maybe just think, take a few minutes and think, you know, what are my core values? Like, what are the things that are most important in life? Write down a handful of things, maybe 10 things. Um, or so, uh, it might be it might be things like your core value might be loyalty. You may say loyalty is important to me, or faith is important, community, health is important, forgiveness, those kinds of things. Um, and then maybe reflect on how am I doing at living into the things that I would say are my core values, um, because the reality of it is, is as we all know, we look around. Of course, this isn't us, but other people, we look at them and we would say, well, their core value might be money, right? And they seem to spend a lot of energy and time in pursuit of money. Um, so reflect on what, the way you're living and maybe put a list together that you would, on, just be honest, it's a good reflection practice. If I were honest about my own core values, think about how you spend your time, your money, what you're in pursuit of, write that down. But then reflect on what you want that to be, what you want those values to be. And I, I'm sure, I'm confident that some of those will mesh, but I think what we'll find is some of those things become areas of growth as well, right? Like, man, I, I want that to be a value in my life. I, I would, that'd be one of the first things I would say, but I don't think I've been paying a lot of attention to it. So great practice, I think, for each one of us um, so that we can live the life not only that we desire, but the life that God created us to live, okay? Um, which is what we want to do as a church and kind of review our core values over the next several weeks. I'm going to just go through these. These are all on the website, so you can read through a little bit on the website, but we're going to go through each of them with a few more minutes, uh, giving attention to it. So we have uh, the journey with God's word is one of our core values, journey in worship, is a core value of Crossroads, journey with a message, which we're going to talk about today, a journey of transformation, journey with everyone, the journey with the sacraments, journey with God's spirit, the journey of generosity, the journey with a small group or a small community of people, and the last one is, uh, and these aren't in any certain order, although we obviously are going to have to cover them in a certain order, uh, but the last one you'll see on the page on the website is the journey begins and ends with unity and love. 
Sound good? So we're really looking forward to spending time on this, but I want to talk to you about Journey with a Message. And I love something that McKenna just said that I think uh, is where I want to kind of camp most of my time uh, on. Um, and she said that for the beginning of her life, she felt like she was kind of a cultural Christian. Sociologists use that term, cultural Christian. Uh, another term, which is really an oxymoron, is a um, uh, is a um, now I got a mental block here. Is a nominal Christian. Nominal sociologists use this term nominal Christianity, which really is an oxymoron. Jesus never invited us to nominal Christianity, and I think that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, the journey with a message is. Uh, this is what it says right off the website. It's to take the message of Jesus to people in your life. Lost people matter to God. Therefore, lost people matter to us and to me. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Uh, about 80 years ago, a guy named Frank Laubach um, wrote this. In, a, in what is now known as a book called um, Letters by a Modern-Day Mystic. Frank Laubach uh, was an incredible man in pursuit of God. Uh, actually been, as far as I know, the only uh, missionary to ever have their picture on a U.S. postal stamp because Frank Laubach taught millions of people around the world from all different religions uh, and places how to read through um, a way that he, God really gave him. But his faith was at the core of his life, and this is what he says uh, in one of his letters. He said, disillusioned by all our other efforts, we now see that the only hope left for the human race is to become like Christ. That is a statement of a famous scientist, and it is being repeated among ever more educators, statespeople, and philosophers. Yet Christ has not saved the world from its present terrifying dilemma. The reason is obvious. Few people are getting enough of Christ to save either themselves or the world. Now, if we're invited to journey with a message, obviously the journey is, first of all, to receive the message ourselves, but then to communicate the message. And as Claire said about, like, McKenna's life, that we're all, we all have our kind of, our life, and we're in a niche, and we have our giftedness, and we have our professions, and we have our classrooms, our realm that we are in, and it's in those places that God invites us and other places in our lives that God invites us to share the message of Jesus with a world that desperately needs Jesus. That first sentence is so powerful, isn't it? Disillusioned by all of our other efforts, we now see that the only hope left for the human race is to become like Christ. And I think we could all say that's still the truth. And maybe we feel it more now than we ever have felt it. Jesus, uh, in John chapter 1, starting with verse 35, this is what the scripture says, talking about Jesus and John the Baptist and those early moments of Jesus' life. 
The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, so that's John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Everyone say followed. Turning around, Jesus saw them following. Everyone say following. And asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, and we had found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. I love how John, he's like, he's just like going from one day to the next. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. Nathaniel's Philip's brother. And he told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything come from there? Can anything good come from Coldwater or Marshall or Albion? Can anything good come from Tecantra or Battle Creek? Anyway, you get the vibe. Can anything come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked, and Jesus said, I saw you while you were sitting under a fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that, he added. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, on the Son of Man, which happens. Jesus specifically invites uh, people to follow him 22 times in the gospel. There's this, there's this general sense that... Um, Jesus invited us to something else, not because we try to avoid the followership, it's just we don't pay enough attention to it. So when we journey with a message, I love this portion of scripture because of the simplicity of the way these folks begin to just invite one another out of relationship to just be with Jesus. And then Jesus, out of that, begins to utilize this terminology that he utilizes through his whole interaction while he's on the earth that we know of and he continually tells people to follow him follow me follow me where you stand just follow me see the journey to journey with a message when you want to embrace it for yourself and you want to share it i want to help us be effective in sharing our faith and i would invite you to stop inviting people, if you do, to simply believe in God. But invite people to follow God, to be in pursuit of God. See, belief only takes you so far. I, for the first 18 years of my life, like McKenna, I believed in God. 
I mean, maybe those first couple of years, I didn't have a belief because I don't remember that, obviously. But from the time I could remember, I believed in God. If somebody would have said, do you believe in God? I would have said, yes, I believe in God. And that wouldn't have gotten me anywhere. Because we all know, if we pay attention to it, that belief, though it's an important part of followership, it's a piece of followership, following Jesus, it's not following Jesus. Imagine if it only took belief. If it only took belief for our life to change. Imagine what it would be like, right? If all it took was for me to believe something to make it so, or for you to believe something to make it so, how awesome would your life be? Like, think about your health. Like, you know you should eat different. You believe you should exercise. But the truth is, most of you don't exercise or eat well, including me. I believe it's good for me. But just believing it's good for me doesn't mean that I get the good effects of exercise. You get that? How about, how about money and finances? Like, I believe things about money and finances. I believe that if I put money in the bank that it would be good. If I believe that if I was good with investments, that would be a good thing. But believing doesn't add to my bank account, right? I believe good stewardship is really important, but that won't take you anywhere. That just, in some ways, ultimately may even be frustrating. I believe in generosity. I believe in tithing. I believe in giving extra. I believe in doing things like that. But quite frankly, believing that doesn't do any of that for me. I believe, uh, you know, those of you that are in school or are, are going to go off to college or maybe you're teaching, you know that preparation is important. You understand how vital it is, like if a test is coming up, being prepared for it. But just knowing that and believing it doesn't get you prepared for the test. You have to have more than just believing preparation is important. We all know that addictions are harmful. No, nobody that's addicted to any drugs or alcohol or any other thing that people are addicted to, nobody would say that it's a good thing. There's no addict anywhere that says that, to my knowledge, that's well in their mind enough to, to even pose this question to that would say addiction is great. They know that it's not good for them. They know that it's not good for the longevity. They believe that it's bad for their life, but that doesn't change the addiction. So, for the first 18 years of my life, I would have said, I believe in Jesus. But that didn't change my life. And this is where the message has to begin. It has to begin at a practical place. See, the things that God invites us to are an invitation for followership. Jesus invited us to follow him. What happens is we get caught up and... Uh, you know, will say things, and I think it's more an issue in the Western church than anywhere. It's interesting, there was just a huge study that came out by Pew uh, Research, and they're saying now that in the United States, by the year, by the, the way things are going in the United States, uh, Christianity uh, may not be the primary religious belief in the United States by 2045, if it continues to go the way that it's going. And there's a lot of conversation going on around it, and there's a lot of reasons for it. And I would say, I would contend this is one of them. Because we have told so many of our friends 
and we've told one another time and time again, just believe and be saved. So people believe and they're saved. Now, I've prayed those prayers. I believe in those prayers. I believe that you need to believe to be saved, but I think there is much more to it. Because ultimately, believing that you're saved doesn't change your life. It doesn't change your behavior. You still got that same old person with those same old opinions acting the same old way. But it's when you give your life to Christ and say, I am exchanging the kingdom that is centered in me for the kingdom that is centered in Jesus. It's a big deal. And I will follow Jesus wherever I'm invited to go. So, believe and be saved is a lot different than follow and become. Believing is a small part of followership. Knowledge is a small part of followership. Trust is, a, is another part of followership. Action is another part of followership. Engagement is another part of followership. There's all of these elements, and we've so focused on, it's like we've, we've tried to make it as convenient as possible for each one of us to come to Christ. It's interesting. I, the reason, part of the reason why I wanted to read that uh, quote by Frank Laubach, it was back pre-1950s that he wrote that, that little piece there, or right early 1950s. Well, what happened in the United States is culturally, culturally in the 50s and then the 60s and 70s, it became very culturally accepted and encouraged all the way into the 90s, actually, to be a Christian. Because it was good for business, and you got a lot of contacts, and you were affirmed culturally to be a Christ follower. We are not living in that world anymore. So you want to enter and become nominal, that's what you do. That's one of the things you do. Believe and be saved. I can come to church, but as Keith Green used to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? But people move there. Now what's happening is we've we've begun to realize how uh, unpopular possibly Christianity may be. And nominal faith doesn't work anymore. And people are leaving by the droves because they believe, but they weren't following. That's one of the reasons. It's not the only one. So I got, do any of you guys have paint at home that like sits in a, raise your hand if you have paint at home that like sits in a cabinet, maybe it's been there for years. This one, I don't know, uh, probably 20 years in our basement. Uh, we still do have this color in our house, so I can at least take, take some pleasure in that. Anyway, almost every day I walk downstairs and we've got this handrail going into our basement and um, Several years ago, we had, uh, we had our house refinanced, so when the guy came through to do the appraisal, he made us put a handrail on our steps, um, and I tried to argue. I said, look, nobody got hurt. We've been here for years, and he says, no, you got to put the handrail. So anyway, of course, I went and tried to find a handrail uh, in some junk pile somewhere, which I did, and I put it up. It looks really good, but it needs to be painted, and this is the color it should be painted. You know what color it is right now? It's the same color it was when it was sitting in the junk pile. It's not like this rusty black. It's probably more dangerous having a handrail up than it, when I didn't because it's rusty. One of our grandkids will probably get, now nah, I'm going to go home and paint this. Anyway, 
But, but belief in God is kind of like the paint in this can. Unapplied paint does nobody any good. It takes application. It takes followership. It takes putting the paint on the handrail to make it useful. Belief is important, but if you never apply your faith to your life, don't be surprised that you're not becoming more loving. Don't be surprised when you're not becoming more forgiving. So what kind of message do I want to share with myself and with my friends and the people around me? I want to share a message of you really can exchange this kingdom that is centered in your life that keeps bringing you to this place, like Frank Laubach said, where you are disillusioned by all of your efforts. You can exchange that for a kingdom that is centered in God's will and desire for your life. See, the church needs to, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll do it here, uh, just the church in general, over time we have dumbed down the beautiful and simple things that Jesus asked for. And this is one of the this is one of those places. Isn't it beautiful when Jesus says, follow me? Isn't there just something beautiful about that? Like it's, just, it's just magnetic. And it's interesting, when I was 18 years old, I realized, and I'm not even sure how I realized, I think it was a culmination of a lot of different stuff. Things, things, that, things that were happening in my life, like I had friends that would sit down and read scripture with me. They would talk to me about Jesus. I had family members talking to me about Jesus. As, as McKenna said, I wanted to have a positive impact on the world. And in some ways, I think I was. But ultimately, there were those places where I thought, you know what? This is beyond my ability. I need God to enter into this space, right? I did. I love what McKenna said. I tried to skip from world two to world four, and that was not feeling right. It wasn't feeling good. So the church, um, some people have lived their whole life in the church and have never heard or paid much attention to the fact that what Jesus said mostly was follow me. And then where did those folks that when he was alive on the earth, where were they going? They were following him to some really crazy places, right? I mean, there were even times when they're like, you got to, you know, you got to get behind me, Jesus, because you're asking me to do crazy stuff. That might happen. But that's where the life is. The reason that we're attracted to believe in me is because believe in me is easier. I can say I believe in anything. It's just easy. I don't have to do anything if I say I believe in Jesus. It doesn't have to make my life different. It's safer to believe in stuff. It's less demanding. I had a guy uh, this last week. I was in a, Claire and I were in a meeting, and this guy came up, introduced himself, and it was a statewide meeting, and said he was a Christian, 
Uh, he knew that somehow that I was a pastor. And um, we had this conversation, and somehow in the conversation, we started talking about cancer. And uh, he said, well, I don't, I don't believe in cancer. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's pretty safe in some ways, but my mom died from cancer. So I, I couldn't get around that. Like, you can believe there's no cancer in the world, but there's cancer in the world. You can believe there's no problems and God wants everything to go perfect in your life. But that's not the way it goes. What I want is to follow Jesus to places like the cross. Because that's where the real life is being lived. Do I believe that God's a healer? Yes. I've been healed. I told you guys that we were here last week. I got healed a week and a half ago or something. But I don't just believe it. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to know what's going on in the kingdom. And that's the kind of faith that I want to invite everybody I know to, a faith that is real. See, because believing really is less demanding, isn't it? If you look through the Gospels, you'll realize that simply believing there's no change required, following change is required. Jesus did not say to believe the true things about Jesus so that you could go to heaven when you die. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, follow me, and you will spend eternity with me when you die. And you can begin to live in the kingdom today when you make that decision. I love, I'll just say this to kind of pull this together, I love the invitational way that the scripture is. And I want to just encourage you all, just be invitational with your friends. The scripture tells us in Romans 10 that no one can hear without a preacher. Or no one can hear, no one can believe without being told. Just invite. Don't invite them to anything but Jesus. We're inviting people to follow Jesus. And I love that it's so relational. I was talking with my spiritual director uh, several weeks ago, and um, I've been having some turmoil around something. And anyway, she shared this quote with me. It was so beautiful. Um, And it was this. It was, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But you can, however... Help a horse become thirsty. And I want you to think about the people in your world. And I know that you love them. I love the people in my world. I care about them. I care about their eternity. But I can't make any of them become followers of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Your job and my job is to help our friends become thirsty. We can help them become thirsty. And when a person is thirsty and a person is hungry, they will find life, the bread of life, in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing like that. I'll never forget the day that I gave my life to Jesus and stepped away from believing in Jesus 
and made a commitment to follow Jesus. So, on your tables there, there's a, there's a little card, you'll notice. Um, it's got kind of a quote in it. I want, I want to just lead us, Claire, can I have that, honey? I won't, I won't. So, it's just, you should have one at your table or around your table. So, two things that I would like you to do. Um... On the outside of that, I would just like you, if you have already begun to follow Jesus, I would like you just to write the name of a person or a couple of people that were helpful in helping you hear the message of the gospel, that were helpful that way. Just write their name on there. Let's just thank God for that, that they shared the message with you. It doesn't have to be everybody. Don't feel like you're leaving anybody out. Just if there's somebody that comes to mind, put that in there. And then I want all of us to take a moment, and in the uh, quotation block there, I want you to put the name of a person that comes to your mind that you would love to share the message of following Jesus with. And just write their name in there. It might be a family. It might be more than one person. But just go ahead and jot their name in there. And let's all pray together. Lord, we thank you that you offer hope. We do uh, recognize, God, the inadequacy of the world. There's people working so hard, trying so hard to make this a better world without your assistance. And we pray for them. We pray for all of us. We pray that we would all come to this place of recognizing that we are inadequate on our own. And we need to receive your message. We want to be followers. Right now, God, we pray for our friends or our coworkers that we've written their names in this quotation space. We pray you would do something marvelous in them, something wonderful in them. Draw them. Let them know the life that can be found in your kingdom and a life in you. God, I pray that you would do the miraculous for our friends and we also commit ourselves to sharing the message of the gospel, the good news of your kingdom, forgiveness of sins, life everlasting, hope in the midst of turmoil and difficulty, freedom. We speak it into our friends' lives. We pray for that. We not only believe for it, but we pray that you'd help us to be a part of their story. We ask these things in wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, everyone, as we sing, what a beautiful name. i uh-huh.
Come on, let it roll off your tongue. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The author, the finisher. just can't deny 